0: We'll hear argument first this morning in case 09 10876, Volkming versus New Mexico. Mr. Fisher?
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The text, purpose, and history of the confrontation clause make it clear that the prosecution cannot introduce one person's testimonial statements through the in court testimony of someone else. Thus, having held in Melendez Diaz that lab analyst statements in a forensic lab report are testimonial, this is an easy case. The state violated the Confrontation Clause by introducing lab analyst Curtis Kaler's statements in a forensic lab report without putting him on the stand. the New Mexico Supreme Court resisted this analysis, straightforward as it is, on the ground that Mr. Uh, Bullcoming, as the defendant, had the opportunity to cross-examine a substitute or a surrogate witness, Mr. Rosadas. Um, But a surrogate witness procedure violates all four components of the right to confrontation. It quite obviously violates the defendant's right to have the witness testify in his presence, in the presence of the jury, so the jury can observe it, and under oath, as the happened Fisher in this case. When you
2: say in the presence, do you, do you mean it necessarily must be in the courtroom, or would it, a video conferencing setup be permissible so that the technician or the analyst could testify from the lab rather but it would be screened in the — in the courthouse? Well, the
1: default rule under the Confrontation Clause is in presence in the courtroom. Now in Maryland against Craig, this Court held in a child witness setting, of course very different than this case, that closed-circuit TV would be permissible. Uh, And I believe, you know, in a future case, if if the State perhaps made some sort of showing the lab analyst uh, couldn't come to court for some reason, and certainly, if the defendant stipulated, maybe even if the defendant didn't stipulate, well, the court could accommodate. Its
2: consent, so we don't. That's not a concern. But, but um, let's suppose the defendant doesn't stipulate. Is this adequate to meet the confrontation clause?
1: I don't think it would be adequate, Justice Ginsburg, with at least some, absent at least some showing of unavailability of the witness or in, uh, of making the witness unable to come to court. Now. Now there is an amicus brief in the case, I believe, that suggests some flexibility that trial judges might employ in in, in accommodating lab
3: analyst schedules. What about these um, witnesses? What about uh, uh, not requiring uh, the officer who uh, who uh, took the confession or or who witnessed uh, the alleged crime, uh, uh, not requiring him to appear because he's busy? Well, that's he never been the r- He's out on the beat. So uh, can, can we have him appear by television?
1: That's never been the rule, Justice Scalia, and I don't think there would why be a is deed the
3: la- Why is a lab technician different?
1: I, d- I, don't think, I don't think one is, and you don't have to reach that in this case because the State never attempted to make any showing that Mr. Kaler was unavailable for any reason. Uh, Mr. Commissioner,
0: what if you had two people doing this procedure. They're sitting at, you know, chairs right next to each other. The one, you know, takes the the blood samples from the vials, puts them in another vial, and puts the aluminum stuff on and crimps it. The other one then takes the vials and puts it in the machine and and runs it. Do you have to have both of them testify?
1: Only if the State wants to present statements from them both. No, they they want
0: to to present the results of the blood analysis, the numbers the machine spits out.
1: I think in that scenario, if both people were there for the whole thing, the state could have either one of them testify. Uh, what the state couldn't do, even, this though is the one, rule. even
0: though one didn't do it, even though the question is going to be, "Did you put the aluminum on and crimp it?" and the answer is going to be, "No, Joe did it." He sits right. That's
1: now. that's right. The confrontation clause is a purely procedural right.
0: I'm sorry. Chief that's Justice. right. Is, do they both have to testify <laughs> then, or not?
1: They do not have to. Oh. The, the confrontation clause is a purely procedural right. It all depends on what whose statements the State wants to introduce. So if the State is satisfied to prove its case by having somebody testify, saying, I watched the thing go into the machine, and I watched this result come out, and I saw that it wasn't tampered with, and it was Mr. Bullcoming's sample, then that would be fine. And, in fact, what some labs do
4: — well, and I don't understand that. How is that any different than the supervisor of the lab saying, I know what these people do. I, I, I watch them on a day-to-day basis, and they perform their Work correctly. Again,
1: the question, Justice Kennedy, is not who the state has to bring in. The question is whose statements the state wants to introduce. Here, the state wanted to introduce Mr. Kaylor's
4: statements, and so it therefore needs. The, what the state to be wants to introduce to. is the result of the exam. And the Chief Justice gives you the hypothetical, say two people are necessary to the exam. You say only one has to be there if both saw it.
1: If only, if the state is only introduced one but, but person.
4: But, it, but it's hearsay as to what. Um, the, the the first person did with 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 crimping, uh, I, I, crimp, I don't crimp crimping, crimping the the thing or it's, it's 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 not direct testimony from that person. You didn't say are you experienced in crimping? Uh, did you use your right hand or your left hand? Uh, is there a danger of spillage and so forth? All that's beyond uh, beyond the ability of the defense to ask.
1: No, I. Justice Kennedy, Justice I don't think it's hearsay. It's simply it being an eyewitness and saying, here's what I watched. I watched this person put it into the machine, and this is the result that I saw come out. Now, again, the only question is whose statements the state wants to introduce. By all means, Mr. Chief Justice and Justice Kennedy, if the state wanted to introduce statements from both of the lab analysts who worked together on the case, they would need to bring them both in. But if they only want to introduce the State takes its
3: chances, right? I mean, uh, as to how much it has to bring in in order per, to persuade the jury.
1: That's right. That's, that's the decision the State makes in every case, whether it be multiple police investigators, multiple well, eyewitnesses to You always take
4: your chances with a business record. That's, that's a given. Of course. Of, of course the State takes a chance with the, with the admission of any admissible hearsay testimony that, that the jury will be uh, — that you, you'll make the argument to the jury that you should discount it because the person isn't there. That's always true. I, I'm not sure
1: I, I, I disagree with anything you said, uh, but the rule of the confrontation clause applies to particular kind of statements, testimonial statements. And our rule today, and the one that resolves this case, is if the state wants to introduce a witness's testimonial statements it needs to bring that witness to court. Now, footnote one in Melinda's yes. I think
4: it's a testimonial statement that this blood uh, that was taken at the hospital was the blood of the defendant. That's a testimonial statement.
1: Yes, uh, I believe it would be.
4: And so I assume that, uh, in this case, the nurse and the police officer were both present.
1: Yes, and in fact— But, this but I
4: assume under your position you could not have a record showing that uh, uh, the nurse withdrew the sample at 10.08 p.m. on such-and-such such a date and that uh, she followed the regular procedure. That would be insufficient if the State wanted uh, to introduce just a certificate— or, or just, just that, just that uh, record.
1: I think that's what footnote one in Melendez Diaz says. If the defendant wants to challenge the chain of custody, then the State needs to bring in the witnesses. Now, I think it's an interesting fact in this case, and it shows why that rule isn't I don't so. I think
5: that's what Melendez Diaz footnote one says. It says that the State may be able to prove chain of custody by testimony other than the actual individuals who handled the sample. And it, it, then it has to take its chances as to whether the trier of fact is going to believe Is going to believe that, isn't that right?
1: I think that's right. I think what footnote one says is the defendant, when the state chooses whose testimony it wants to introduce, the defendant has the right to insist that that be done live. But does
3: not not, not, Linda Diaz also say that if uh, the defendant wants to challenge the the chain of custody, the state can adopt rules that requires the defendant to assert that challenge or his intention to make that challenge prior to the trial, so that the state will know whether it has to introduce any live testimony.
1: Of course, that's correct. As the notice-and-demand regimes that Melinda Diaz approved of, and the public uh, — the PDS brief in this case show that many states do use those regimes. Now, just I as mean, just the But cha- the f-
4: chain of custody does involve a testimonial statement that this is the blood that I w- took it out at 10.05 p.m. on Saturday evening. That's a testimonial statement. It's the defendant's blood.
1: Yes, it can, Justice Kennedy, but chain of custody is proved by live witnesses every day, in court, every day in courtroom across the country, long before so Melinda's Diaz just, or Crawford.
6: It's not just chain of custody. I think the Chief Justice is trying to get at this problem, or I am. Lab technician Jones looks at a vial, and it's blue. She says to Smith, it's blue. Smith turns a lever on a machine to B. Jason sees the B and goes into court. You make him go into court. That's our case. And what I wonder is is the defendant now entitled to the following instruction? Jury, because he's in court, he can say that the machine read B. But that proves nothing about the vial. Nothing. All it proves is what someone said in the laboratory to another person. And those two people aren't in court. Now that's — you see, that's the problem, I think, of the intermediate step. I'd either like to be told I'm wrong about that, you don't have to have them, or explain whatever you'd like.
1: I, if I understand your hypothetical correctly, I think that if the defendant wanted — the defendant could certainly make that argument to the jury. And the defendant, if he wanted to insist, if the prosecution wanted to tie the result — let's bring it back to the facts of this case — wanted to tie the point two one to Mr. Bullcoming by saying that was Mr. Bullcoming's sample, then they'd need to bring somebody into court if the defendant insisted upon it. But the one thing I want to add is that the Pu- Public, Deser- Public Defender Service brief makes clear, and the facts of this case makes clear, it's going to be very rare that a defendant wants to do that. The defendant in this case wanted to stipulate to the nurse's blood draw, and that it was his blood that was drawn in the hospital. It was the State that insisted on putting her on the stand. It happens in courtrooms all that's, across Well, the-
4: but uh, if, if you want to tell us, don't worry, it won't happen, I, I think that's an unacceptable argument. You're saying the defense has certain rights, and we have to presume there is a defense attorney who's going to uh, afford his client every right the Constitution has. So the, the fact that we're not supposed to worry because it won't happen uh, very often is — A, it seems to me an unlikely hypothetical, and B, it seems to me irrelevant to your argument.
1: Well, Justice Kennedy, I'll I'll gladly accept B if we want to say that consequences are irrelevant, because I think that's what the Sixth Amendment is what it is. But I I think the only thing I would add is that all I can say is empirically, in the states that have followed the rule we advocate today, long before Crawford or Melendez Diaz, it simply is a manageable burden. I'm not saying it's no burden. But it's Mr. Fisher, I thought, it,
3: the, I thought the Court put this worry behind us in Crawford. Wasn't the same worry raised in Crawford?
1: Well, I think it was raised even more pointedly in Melendez Diaz when it came to lab analysts. And I it, think in both places the Court, yes, set that
3: aside. Said, yes, it, it, it may be uh, something of a risk, but the, the, uh, the States have managed it in the past, and there's no reason to think they can't manage it in the future. I, I think that's what Melendez
7: Council, Diaz uh, um, there are — different types of hearsay involved here or different types of statements. There's the report itself, which was Exhibit 1 that was introduced, and it has certain certifications by the analyst that he followed certain procedures, etc. I'm assuming that you're claiming that those — those are the Confrontation Clause violations, that exhibit itself because it is attesting or certifying to something. The witness is not a trump.
1: Yes, Mr. Kaler's certifications in in the in the lab report not only that the blood that that the blood had a .21 blood alcohol content, but also that
7: oh, Uh, but that uh, the the also is what I summarized in saying that he followed certain procedures that it was in accordance with law. Except
1: and and also that it was Mr. Bullcoming's blood sample and that the the sample had not been tampered with. That's the totality of. But as to those (laughs) first two,
7: if I might just finish my question. Um, let's assume that the raw data, the graphs that were made, were reviewed by a separate witness. And he reviewed the data and says, this data shows that the blood level concentration was 0.21 or 2-point whatever it was. Would that violate the confrontation clause using the raw data itself?
1: I want to be clear that raw, by raw data you mean the printout from a machine.
7: The printout because it's used from machine. in different right. ways it, in the briefing. That wasn't introduced here, am I correct? It was neither. It was not
1: introduced, uh, and there's nothing in the record to show that Mr. Rosado's even reviewed it. All right. Uh, so but what he assume, did is just read the report.
7: Let's assume he just took the raw data at trial. I know we now have a chain of custody, and someone mm-hmm. would have to prove that this is the data related right. to Mr. Bullcoming. But if that expert then read that data. And testify that this was of a certain amount of, or percentage of alcohol. Would that violate the confrontation clause? Probably not.
1: Provided, as you say, the chain of custody had been either properly proved or stipulated to, I think an expert could take the stand and say, I'm looking at a graph and here's what the graph shows me. Then now, you might get the, into. That's
2: what the New Mexico Supreme Court suggested, didn't they? They said, bring the printout from the gas, whatever, chromatograph, and then have uh, an expert who was not the one who certified this, was not k but said, here's the graph that came out of the machine, and this is the way this process operates. In your answer to Justice Sotomayor, did you mean to agree with the Mexico Supreme Court when they said print out plus an analyst who didn't do this particular uh, run but knows how the process works? No, Justice
1: Ginsburg. I'm certainly not here today to agree with the New Mexico Supreme Court. Uh, what they said uh, doesn't — doesn't make any sense in this case because, A, the, 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 the printout wasn't was never introduced into evidence or looked at, and, B, it would matter a great deal — and this is why I want to continue my answer — it mattered matter a great deal what was on the printout. If the printout is nothing more than a graph, then I don't think you can say that's a testimonial statement. If a printout comes out of a machine that also says at the top, blood sample was Donald Bull Cummings, here's the test that was run, etc." those may well be testimonial statements that the analyst triggered the machine to spit out. Uh, so the Fourth Circuit has wrestled with this issue in the Washington case. Uh, and you can, you can look at the majority and the dissenting opinions in that case. I think the question would arise in that scenario uh, if the graphs were, inter- if the machine printouts were introduced into evidence, the question would be: Are the machine printouts testimonial? And to the extent they are, you'd have the same problem in this case. To the extent they're not, as the Fourth Circuit suggested, at least to some degree they may not be. Then you don't have a confrontation what what problem. What
7: part do you see as testimonial or not? What can an outside expert look at? I think an expert can look at anything. The only question is what's introduced into evidence. There's no, there's no confrontation clause well, bar an expert I, I, reviewing whatever I, I, he wants. There's two different issues. One, what can be introduced into evidence, which is the reports themselves, and what can he or she testify to is a different question. That's a form of evidence. And so that's the line I'm trying to get you to describe for me, which is when does that testimony become a violation of the confrontation clause?
1: In, in one of two scenarios, Justice Sotomayor, the first, which is the scenario we have in this case, when the report is introduced and it's testimonial.
7: Let's just second the hypothetical. I-
1: the second is that it's not introduced. Then you have a Confrontation Clause violation if the expert, and this is the words many lower courts have used, is, is a mere conduit for introducing the out-of-court testimonial statements.
6: Can we break
5: so, this down in, in, in this way? I, I, I see three things that the — three uh, statements that this, the State uh, was attempting to — to prove, the first was that the sample that was tested was the sample that was taken from the defendant. Second, was that the standard procedures were followed in this case, and the third was that the result was uh, 0.21. Would you agree with that? Those are the three things.
1: I think there's one other thing, Justice Alito, which is that the sample had not been tampered with.
5: All right, that uh, the sample had not been tampered with. Now, as to the first three, in other words, everything other than the results, could the state prove those things? Uh, Without having, simply by introducing testimony regarding the way things were generally done in the lab, and ask the jury to infer that the general procedures were followed in this particular case.
1: I think that'd be a question of state law, Justice Alito.
5: There wouldn't Um, be a confrontation. There wouldn't be a
1: confrontation clause question.
5: All right. Now, in this case, as I read the record, it seems to me that's what the prosecutor was attempting to do. This is on. Page 50 of the joint appendix. Then uh, the analyst is beginning to testify. This is the second answer on page 50. So what we do is we will get the sample in the mail, etc. The analyst is beginning to testify about standard lab procedures. And then defense attorney says, Your Honor, I'm going to object to what's done in the status quo. I take that to mean what is generally done. I don't object to what was done in this case. So the defense attorney is preventing, is objecting to the prosecution's attempting to discharge its, its responsibility with respect to those first three propositions through testimony about standard procedures and is insisting that the analyst provide the testimony that you say was a violation of the confrontation clause, namely testifying as to what was done in this particular case.
1: Just to leave, I think if you look earlier in the joint appendix, I believe it's at page 40, uh, where the state for the first time says we're going to put Mr. Rosados on the stand instead of Mr. Kaler, there's, a di- there's an objection there as well that says uh, you can't then put the document into evidence that Mr. Kaler wrote if he's not going to be on the stand. That's the critical objection here. Now, you're right. There's nothing wrong with Mr. Rosados having taken the stand in this case. There's nothing wrong with him having described typical procedures in the lab. I think the objection you're pointing to was the one that said — again, a sort of a state law objection, saying he can't testify to something he doesn't have personal knowledge about, which is whether the procedures were followed in this case. Uh, but Mr. Mr. Rosados could certainly take the stand and testify to gen- general procedures, but at page 54 and 55 of the joint appendix, uh, he-, he simply reads the report's results. and. So, you have two confrontation clause violations, really. You have the report being introduced in the first instance, and then you have, um, I believe it's the 54 and 55 of the joint appendix, you have the prosecutor asking Mr. Rosados what was the result. He says the result was 0.21. As the state itself says at page 58, note uh, 15 of its brief, Uh, There was no independent analysis being applied there. All Mr. Rosados was doing was repeating and giving the jury the conclusions that Mr. Kaler had reached.
5: But if the — if the machine had uh, expelled a piece of paper that said .21, that piece of paper would not be — a violation uh, introduction of that piece of paper that the contents of the piece of paper would not be a violation of the confrontation if it
1: said nothing more than a point two one coming out of the machine i think probably not now judge michael in the fourth circuit would disagree and so that's an issue that's not in this case and i think you could debate whether that should even that should be considered well, hearsay can, of the
5: operator can, how can you debate it uh, the, the purpose of the confrontation clause is to allow cross-examination how are you going to cross-examine the machine well, well the question
1: that would arise there would be whether the point two one should be treated as Mr. Kaler's statement. I mean, if I give you two hypotheticals, maybe it explains. On the one hand, I don't think anyone would claim that a timestamp on a fax machine, for example, is a human statement. It's a machine statement, and so, therefore, can't be testimonial. On the other hand, if someone types out an affidavit on a word processor and hits print, you can't say, well, that's the machine talking, not the human. So the question arises in the lab context whether a 0.21 or anything else that comes out of the machine has enough human influence that it ought to be treated as the — as the person statement. Now, you don't have to resolve that in this case. And what's important to emphasize is that that hypothetical of the 0.21, even though the State would like it to be this case, is really miles away, for the reason you said, because the State proved a lot more than 0.21 by Mr. Kaler's lab report. And that's why these hypotheticals, I think — But all of those
5: other things could potentially be proven by indirect evidence, by establishing standard procedures and asking the jury to infer that the standard procedures were followed in this case. They might — they might believe that. They might not. The state they might could, make the inference. They might not. The
1: State could make that choice, but it would be a considerably weaker case, Justice Alito, not just because they wouldn't have anyone saying that the procedures were actually followed in this case, uh, but also in this case it would be a far weaker case because they'd have somebody on the stand who would now be subject to cross-examination as to why he'd been recently put on unpaid leave.
5: But as to uh, this case, uh, didn't the defendant actually testify? that he was drunk at the time of — that he — at the time when the, the blood was extracted. He took the stand and he testified that after the accident he went off into the woods and he came upon people who were drinking vodka and he drank — they drank — what was it, a gallon of vodka together, and then he went back to the scene and his blood was tested. That was — Isn't that correct? That
1: was his defense, Justice Alito. And here's why the lab report is still important, though, because you're right. He did admit he was drunk. But remember, he was not convicted simply of DUI. He was convicted in New Mexico law of aggravated DUI. And to have aggravated DUI, you need to have up to a 0.16 blood alcohol content. So the report is the only way the state could have proved over 0.16, even if Mr. Bullcoming admitted that he'd been drinking that day. Uh, So that's why it's important in this case. That's why he wanted to challenge. Uh, That's one reason why he wanted to challenge that report. (laughs) Let me come back to the — to the important point, I think, though, that what the state wants to be able to do — I, I — don't want to ascribe a bad motive — but what the state's rule would allow states to do is to insulate people from cross-examination. Not just Mr. Kaler in this case, but — but — but please pay attention to, for example, the Dungo case that's cited in our opening brief from California. That's a case where a coroner uh, had been fired from his job, blacklisted by law enforcement, and prohibited from testifying in many counties because he falsified his reports, uh, his, his autopsy reports, by writing them with the police report sitting right next to him. But the state, can't,
5: the state can't immunize uh, those people from testifying. You could have uh, subpoenaed Kaler, couldn't you? You could have asked for a continuance and, and and a subpoena and brought him in to testify. It's just a question of— who has to take the step, right?
1: Well, we, we could have, but Melinda Diaz makes clear that doesn't satisfy the Confrontation Clause. And, the, and when you deal especially with a garden-variety DUI case, there's only so much time and resources at issue, and that's why the Confrontation Clause, I think, is especially important in a case like this, that the prosecution bring its witnesses into court. And if I could just finish the Dungo story, in the, in the California Court of Appeal, when they reviewed that case, they said the prosecutor's intent in that case had been to shield Mr., uh, I'm sorry, the the actual Analyst in that case from cross examination, and in fact the supervisor, when he took the stand at the preliminary hearing, told uh, told the court the reason why they have me here is the prosecutors find it too hard to have this person in court, so that it would be perfectly permissible if if the state win this case today and surrogate testimony uh, were allowed. How do
2: you answer the the practical um, situation that? Kalar, who did this particular run, does them dozens, day in and day out. And he will have no memory, in fact, of this particular uh, test. So having him there, he knows how the process operates. He doesn't remember this particular one. How does having him there, what could be enlisted on cross-examination of him that couldn't be, from his supervisor.
1: Let me give you two answers, Justice Ginsburg. But first, let me say, we don't know whether somebody doesn't remember it until he's put on the stand. What the NACTAL brief says is that even though analysts don't ordinarily remember run-of-the-mill tests like this, they do remember if something went wrong or if something went haywire. So we wouldn't know that. But assuming you're right that
3: MR. Wasn't it the case that these tests are unusual in this particular jurisdiction?
1: That's my understanding, Justice Scalia. So that's another reason why he may have remembered. But, it's, but even if he didn't, there's two things that could be importantly probed here. One is his credibility, and I've explained why that was a very serious issue in this case because he was put on unpaid leave. The other is his competence. Again, Melendez Diaz says it's important to have the person on the stand to explain how he does his job, for the jury to observe his professionalism, for him to explain here's my understanding of these procedures, etc. That can be very important. And if I could leave you with one thing before I, I, take I, I
3: assume that even if he doesn't remember, that his testimony is not worthless to the prosecution. He, the prosecution can bring out his high qualifications and he can testify. This is always the way I do it. I do it this way all the time. I don't remember this particular incident. All of that can be persuasive to the jury, can it?
1: Of course it can, Justice Scalia. And on the flip side, even if he doesn't remember, cross examination is very important. If I could leave you with one thing that I think isn't highlighted in the brief, maybe the way it should have been, there's a line of cases from this court California against Green, Delaware versus Fensterner and United States versus Owens that all hold that if a witness takes the stand and doesn't remember anything that the Confrontation Clause is still, uh, still — still Satisfied as long as that witness is on the stand for the reasons Justice Scalia explained, and because the jury can observe him, etc. And so the flip side of that has to be—that's the holding of Owens most recently—is that those are meaningful things that the confrontation clause requires. And so the flip side of those cases has to be that if the witness takes the stand and doesn't remember, the ineffectiveness potentially of a cross examination there doesn't matter either. If I can reserve what little time I have left.
0: Thank you, Mr. Fisher. General King.
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. As the Court said in Michigan v. Bryant, a police interrogation resembles an ex-party examination when the primary purpose of the interrogation is to create, quote, an out-of-court substitute for trial testimony, end quote. A public record not prepared by a police officer is not the product of structured interrogation. It is neither ex-party nor is it an examination. I understand that. You mean so long as
3: uh, all, all hearsay by uh — non-police officers can be admitted without, uh, without confrontation just because they're not police officers?
8: No, Your Honor. I don't believe that I didn't that's I not think the case. that was your point, because it's certainly not true, is it? It, it is not my point, Your Honor. Your Honor, the, the point that I am making is that um, in this case, the, the document, the report that we're talking about, is a public record, and that differentiates it from the affidavit in melendez Diaz. And so the case that we're — I'm talking sorry. About.
7: Could you tell me what that means? Why is it different than the affidavit? Uh, it's certified, and my understanding of the dictionary meaning of certification is that that's an attestation as to the truth of the statements contained therein. That's the common definition. So I'm assuming it's the equivalent of an affidavit. So how is it different than the melendez Diaz lab report?
8: Your Honor, I and, and I, I understand I will answer your question with regard to your, your expectation that the certification is the same as the affidavit. It's not our position that, that they are exactly the same. But there are several distinguishing, how, why, there are other distinguishing um distinguishing features that are significant between the affidavit and Melinda's Diaz and, and the report in this case. For one, the affidavit of Melendez Diaz was prepared pursuant to a statute in Massachusetts that called for the preparation of an affidavit from the lab at some point in time after the, uh, uh, the actual test was done, um, and it was to be used specifically as an in-court statement to replace the live in-court testimony of the affiant. In our case, the report being a public record was a, a record that is, is kept contemporaneously by the analyst in the lab uh, it is, in this case, the .21 is a single data point that's taken from the raw data in the machine and recorded on a standard document that, that's provided by the Kennedy. And that was prepared just for fun, not, not, not for use in, in trial? No, Your Honor. I, I believe that that, that um, statement is planned to be used in trial. And So what difference does it make whether the statute requires it uh, to be
3: taken to be used at trial or whether the police send it over to be used at trial? As
8: agents of the state,
3: what difference does that make,
8: Your Honor? I think the key is to look at the purpose of of the analyst who was preparing the report, who is who's a, a public employee who, who is is just carrying out, uh, as our court said, uh, uh, copying the information from the machine onto the report, and so that's significantly different than the amount of analysis that was done by by the the. the witness
7: I'm sorry. He's deal. not simply looking at a number and putting it on a report, he's certifying to certain things. He's certifying to following certain steps that the evidence wasn't tampered with. He's certifying that he's complied with all the requirements of New Mexico law with respect to the report. So he's just not copying a number.
8: That's correct, Your Honor. And in this case, the certification doesn't necessarily make the report testimonial. There there are several other examples of of cases where — evidence is introduced at court that that have certifications. For instance, uh, it may be necessary for a public records custodian to provide uh, a copy of a birth certificate in in a trial. And and in that case, the custodian always has a certification that says, I certify this. is the difference
7: between those two documents is that one was prepared primarily for the purposes, this lab report, Mm -hmm. for prosecution purposes, and the birth certificate is not prepared for that. It's prepared to mark the birth of a person. Then it's used for many other purposes, besides trial. Is that correct?
8: Uh, that is correct with regard to the birth certificate, Your Honor.
7: So tell me what makes this certificate not primarily for the purpose of use in the prosecution of an individual? Would they have tested this blood if, if it wasn't to prosecute him?
8: Your Honor, in in this case. No, I, this, this case is all about a, a sample that was sent to the lab to be tested for this. But, but I think that, that you made it clear in uh, Michigan versus Bryant that, that there might be a variety of purposes that should be analyzed uh, in, in order to decide whether or not the statement is testimonial or not. In this case the purpose of the, of the lab analyst is significantly different from the purpose of the police officer who requested the analysis the lab analyst does this for a living it, it's it's their public duty the lab in this case is is operated by the state department of health scientific lab division and and they do a variety of different kinds of analysis and so the, the analyst who does the test wouldn't necessarily have the same purpose uh... in in creating uh... their statement for that document as a matter of fact the analyst would most likely Uh, be driven by the desire as a scientist to make Does
7: he do any testing except for the police? Yes, Your Honor Who else do they test for? Uh,
8: This lab also tests for, uh, in in this particular case, gas chromatograph analyses of blood alcohol they test for the Office of the Medical Examiner and, and under New Mexico law, interestingly enough, the, um, the defendant can also ask for a test. They would use the same form to ask for this test. So the analysis might be being done for a defendant as well as for the state. Are these uh, lab analysts civil service
5: employees? Are, are the lab analysts civil service
8: employees? Yes, Your Honor, they are. They, they work for the New Mexico Department of Health. Is there any way in which uh, your office or prosecutors or the police
5: could cause them not to get promotions if they weren't producing the kind of lab reports that uh, the police and the prosecution
8: might like? No, Your Honor, they could not. As a matter of fact, there, there is a separation between the operation of, of the Department of Health lab and the police that even extends to the point of a physical separation. Police officers are not allowed into the lab area where uh, where where they're, they're This
3: analyst was fired, as I recall. Was he fired, placed on administrative leave or something?
8: No, Your Honor. The record uh, indicates that, that Mr. Kaler was not available for court because he was on leave without pay. Which, on leave
3: without pay?
8: Mm-hmm. And do we know
3: why it was leave without pay?
8: We don't know why, Your Honor. Does the defense know why it was leave without
3: pay? Could the defense have found out in cross-examination that the reason he was leave without pay because he was — he had shown himself to be incompetent and they were in the process of firing him? I don't know that that's true, but wouldn't that be important to the defense —
8: your Honor, I, I think that the defense would like to know the answer to that question.
3: And didn't and didn't the prosecution intentionally set it up this way so that this person would not have to testify, so that he could not be cross-examined? Isn't that why they sent the substitute
8: to testify? No, Your Honor. In this case, that's that's not the case. I, the this case came about. In, in a little bit of an unusual circumstance, because that both sides have been negotiating a, a plea agreement, and, and when, the, when the plea agreement was not successful, the defendant asked for the trial to be expedited and, and moved quickly to trial. So the defendant didn't do as much um, discovery, I think, as you would normally do in, in a case like that. But um,
3: — I don't know what the facts are, but, boy, it smells bad to me. It really does. And, and, and even if that was not the case, the mere possibility that it could have been the case — Shows why you you should have to bring this person in if you want to introduce his testimony
8: your honor i I think that the the key here is that if you would not look at the um, at any of the qualities of the of the declarant in deciding whether the statement is testimonial or not, and so once once the court makes a determination as to whether it is testimonial or not you you wouldn't uh no. even if you would like to ask those questions you wouldn't have the opportunity to ask those questions in, in this case factually um, it, it might also be that uh, that mr. Kaler was on unpaid leave because he had run out of uh, his regular leave time and and he decided to do that we it would all be speculated. I agree that, uh, that whether
3: it's testimonial does not depend upon whether there's skullduggery or not but the possibility of skullduggery even in machine um, Machine situation such as this is a good reason for saying
8: this is testimonial. Your Honor, I think that's why it's important that this is a public records case because that that is one of the assumptions that courts have made for hundreds of years with regard to uh, the the fact that there is there is a duty by the by the person who's who's uh, taking down the information to uh, to observe in a regular manner to to record in a regular manner, and and so that's important here. I that was
2: the principal thrust of your grief. that this isn't testimonial at all. Uh, you have not said, because it was unsworn, because you recognize the certification is the same, but you're trying to equate it to a business record, a public record? Yes, You Honor. do have the hurdle that this record was created for a specific purpose. It was created- to provide evidence for use in a criminal prosecution
8: your honor i i don't believe that that is the only purpose that that this form 705 could be used for it is the common purpose for this form but it is a form that that the lab uses in every circumstance and indeed as i said in, in new mexico law the defendant can ask for a second test they can have that done it's done at the state's expense they can have it done at any laboratory that they want to but if they have the report done at the state lab, and they're entitled to have that done, they would utilize the same form. Well, does,
0: what are the the analysts,
2: circum-
0: does the analyst know whether he's being asked to do one for the prosecution or for the defendant?
8: Uh, not necessarily, uh, Your Honor. I, I, I actually don't know the answer to that specifically, except that the form, and if you look at it, it's, it's in the joint appendix. Does have some information uh, in Part A that from that indicates that there is a police officer. Uh, that, that uh, sent the, the test to the lab. There's a nurse that, that did that, and in this oh, case so they would know the talk about right? it they, um, I think that the same information would be on the form whether the defendant submitted it or whether the, or, or whether the prosecution submitted it. And, and well, not the same information. One would say the police submitted it, and the other one would say the defendant
3: submitted it, right? Your Honor, if So if the police submitted it, the, the, the person doing the, the, the uh, test would know that the police submitted it.
8: I if you look at the form, Your Honor, it would have the same information. But I, we're not we're not here today arguing that that the uh, that the analyst wouldn't know that the police submitted this form. But it is an arms length request, and and once again, the court addressed that in, in your most recent case in Michigan versus Bryant. I, I believe because the um, the question is whether or not. There was an interrogation. One of the, the the key questions is whether there was an interrogation. Th- this clearly does not look like a case where there was an interrogation by the police. It was a request on a standard form that was that was sent, and so the the, the purpose test, it appears from uh, Michigan versus Bryant, would not even apply in cases where there's not a police. Why, interrogation. why
3: is it key question whether this was an interrogation? Does, does the confrontation clause apply only to confrontations? Uh, to uh, to uh, uh, interrogations? I mean, if, 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 a, if a witness, before the police ask any questions, blurts out, you know, Jones did it, can that statement get in because it
8: has not been in
3: response to an
8: interrogation? Your honor the, the analysis would be somewhat different that, that's the point is that uh, it'd be different because interrogation
3: doesn't make any difference that, that, that is not the, the, the condition for the
8: application of the, of the uh, confrontation clause. Your honor we it, it appears that it does make some difference with regard to uh, Michigan versus Bryant and, and it's new to all of us. If it question. were an interrogation
3: uh, the, the factors mentioned in, in Michigan versus Bryant would be relevant presumably. But since this wasn't an interrogation, I don't see how that has any, any relevance, whatever.
8: Well, the relevance, Your Honor, I think is, is since it's not an interrogation, then, then you have to look at, and I think the Court has set this out, um, you have to look at the, the, the nature of the evidence and, and to make a determination as to whether the evidence that's being presented uh, is, is merely a substitute for live in-court testimony. And, and there, back to the difference between the affidavit in Melendez Diaz and the report in this case, is is in in our report. Even if Mr. Kaler had been at the trial and on the stand, it would have been necessary to have the report as well. I, I think uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg raised this point: is that six months after the examination was done, to to cross-examine the analyst and ask him, do you remember what the result was six months ago from this one test out of 100 that you ran? He, he will not remember without looking at the report. The report is the best evidence, in this case, to prove the, the point that, that is being made here. And
3: sure, Well, he'd
8: look at the report and say, gee, I don't remember, you know.
3: I, I do a lot of these reports. Uh, but then the prosecution and director would say, well, how do you do them? And he would say, I always do this, I always do that, I always do the other thing. Did you do it in this case? Well, I don't specifically remember this case, but I always do it. And that's the testimony that would go to the jury. It would be pretty persuasive, not as good as if he did remember.
8: That's correct, Your Honor. And so that's why the analysis of whether this is testimonial or not is such an important analysis. Because if the — the the, the reasoning that the Court has had for, for all of the hearsay exceptions, for, uh, for excited utterances or, or, in this case, for a public record, uh, would, would look at whether or not um, that, that evidence was the best evidence to, to support the truth-finding purpose of the trial. That's our, that's our analysis, at least, Your Honor. And, and what we are arguing in this case is that there is no difference between Mr. Kaler transferring the, the 0.21 data from the machine to, um, to the piece of paper than there would be if you took a photograph, for instance, of, of the machine data. And, and. So why didn't you give the data <coughs>
7: to the <coughs> analyst at trial? Mm-hmm. If there wasn't a more persuasive power mm-hmm. in the lab certification, mm-hmm. why didn't you just have the, the new expert look at the printout from the graph and say, this is what it says? Procedurally,
8: in this case, Your Honor, the, the, this, uh, the trial at the district court level occurred before the court's opinion in melendez Diaz, And so I think that at this point in time that it, it would be more normal behavior for the, uh, for the state to present the raw data as well. Um, in this case, Mr. Rosat... Reza-
7: that's that as well. Don't you introduce the lab report because it, it gives more credence to the reliability of the result, Was mm-hmm. he certifying that he followed certain procedures, that he did certain things, that the sample wasn't tampered with? Yes, Is Your Honor. It, you're looking for that testimony, correct? You're looking at trial to that testimony to bolster the test. N- not
8: using testimony in the in the in the sense that we're talking about testimony here. I mean, y- you you might want that very well want that evidence in. Uh, not different from other cases where if, if you had a uh, — it was necessary to submit the, the judgment of a felony, for instance, to uh, to show that a, a person in a later trial was a felon in, in — in, in, with a, a, a felon in possession of a firearm, you would have a certification from a court clerk that would say, I certify that, that that the copy of this document that I'm submitting to the court is, is a true copy of, of that. Th- that's also not testimonial from — uh, for the purposes of the Confrontation Clause, I don't believe. But you might
6: want that in order to show the machine says X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. But that's only as good as the stuff that was put into it. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to show that this was his blood put into it. Mm-hmm. And many, many people might have handled it. Mm-hmm. And there might be a routine so that they all check a box when it's sealed and they get it. Is it your understanding if you lose these case, this case? that you
8: then have to take into court all those people? Mm-hmm. That's certainly a concern, Your Honor. I, 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 if you look at this document, there are six or seven people who have uh, certifications on the, on the di- or different statements on the document. There are three certifications. There's one from the, from the, the woman who takes the samples into the lab that says she received the samples. There's this one from Mr. Kaler. There's one from, from the reviewing analyst who reviews it. And I, I gather that the, that the uh, petitioner is only challenging that, that, that one certification from, uh, from, mm-hmm. from Mr. Kaler. Right. The chain of custody wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, uh, contested here, was it? It was not. And this
3: doctor- is it often contested? My impression is it's not very often contested.
8: I'm not aware of it being contested often, Your Honor. I, and, and this form, I think, is one of the things in New Mexico that really helps with that. that. It's the reason that the Court submitted the form, is that you have everything relating to the chain of evidence on, on one document. And, and so, indeed, a lot of those statements really help. Yeah, the, the reason
6: case. I ask the question is because I don't think it is normally contested. It's normally a business record of some kind. Uh, however, uh, what I'm looking for is a distinction, because in the future, I don't see why it wouldn't be contested mm-hmm. unless there's a distinction.
8: Yes, Your Honor. And, and I think that the distinction is that in this case, the, the analyst is not essentially a party to the action. He, the analyst works arm's length transaction from from the, from the police and from the prosecutors. And so he's not part of the prosecution team, is, is how I've been thinking about it.
3: General, I, I, I know your state takes a different view of it, or you wouldn't be here, but aren't there a number of states that, uh, that do provide the testimony of the technician who uh, do require the technician to come in and, and testify?
8: Your Honor, I believe that there are other states that have statutes that that have different ways of presenting And have they had,
3: uh, to your knowledge, uh, uh, serious problems about uh, defendants contesting chain of custody simply because this other thing is required? Again, I'm I'm not aware that that's been a problem. I think it's a boogeyman.
8: Your Honor, we we understand that that the... um, that the burden on the state is is not an issue that comes directly into the analysis relating to the confrontation clause I in New Mexico, for instance, one of the problems that we have is that, is that the lab, centrally located in Albuquerque, and in, in, in this case the trial was in San Juan County, so, so the witness has to drive for about three hours to get to where the courthouse is. So that's sort of different in New Mexico than, say, in Massachusetts or, or something like that. And, and even for ten minutes' worth of testimony, they might have to drive six hours and take a whole day out of the lab. So it, it is a problem that, that is there, but it, I don't think that is the seminal issue that would Are, are there states — are
6: there States that do require uh, uh, um, a, a prosecutor uh, to produce uh, everyone who has handled something in a chain of custody at a, uh, uh, a, at a laboratory? Uh, criminal, you know, normal business. Uh, are there states that do require that? If so, could you tell me a couple? Your
8: Honor, I'm, I'm not aware of any state that would require that everyone in the chain of custody uh, appear in, in trial. It is, indeed, normally up to the prosecutor with regard to chain of custody to determine who, who's going to be appearing.
6: What about medical reports that are uh, aimed at a particular known uh, victim of a crime and thus will end up in trial, uh, for example, a graph, mm-hmm. a graph which the nurse keeps which is a statement by the nurse that the patient's temperature on such-and-such a day was 98.6 or whatever, and normally that graph would be introduced. But are there any states that wouldn't require — would uh, say, oh, no, you have to produce the nurse, Mm -hmm. you have to produce the doctor for all medical records, uh, which, of course, are known by the keeper that they will be used at the criminal trial? Are there any states that require that? There
8: are none that I'm aware of, Your Honor. I, I don't I — Are there states any states, the states that
6: require uh, ordinary business records, uh, perhaps of the most ordinary kind, which always are statements that somebody did something on a particular day, when those business records happen to be kept for, with the knowledge that, they'll probably be introduced to the trial. Are there states that require uh, — the man or woman who made the business record uh, to come into court?
8: No, Your Honor. And I think that's the point of all of those. Uh, state law has their, their hearsay law that, that, that analyzes whether or not those statements are admissible. General, I,
3: I don't think that's an accurate uh, response, at least if you include the qualification that Justice Breyer put in the question, which is that the records were kept with the knowledge that they would be introduced in, in, in criminal trials. I mean, you can say that all the records of labs — let's assume there's a — there's a police lab which — which — which only does uh, a police uh, uh, testing of blood. Uh, Those would be business records of the lab, but they certainly would not be introducible just because they're business records. If the record's made for the use in prosecution, surely
8: it's — it — it doesn't come under the business records exception. Or else we wouldn't be here today. Your Honor, I think the hypothetical that, that you say really shows where the line is. If, if the lab is a police lab and only doing the analysis for the police, then they, they look a lot more like a party to the, to the lawsuit. And certainly the, the hearsay exceptions have made it clear that even though observations uh, are, are generally, uh, that are public records are generally allowed, that observations by police officers are not. And, and so It's an independent lab, and the police always send it to this independent lab. But, in fact, it's an
3: independent business, it makes a profit, but all the stuff it does it knows is going to be used at
8: trial. That wouldn't be admissible, would it, even though it's a perfectly normal business record? Your Honor, I think that that depends on on how you look at the purpose and whose purpose it is that that, that you're analyzing now. First off, that would assume that uh, that the purpose test applies in this case and and it seems to me, since Michigan versus Bryant, that the purpose test may not apply to these kinds of cases uh, where, where there's not a police interrogation. But if, if that is the case and the purpose test applies, then it, it also appears to me that that the, uh, that the test now requires that, that you look not just at the purpose of the policeman who, who's asking you the question, but that you look at the purpose of the declarant. And in this case, the purpose of the labs clearly is, is a purpose just to — to get the sample, do a good analysis, and, and report that analysis to, in New Mexico's case, both parties. The, the analysis so, that comes from our state lab goes not only to the prosecution, but also to the defense. General
2: King, General- you seem to be describing this uh, this, this case seemed rather particular. That is, there was no objection by New Mexico to having an analyst show up with uh, so? showed up. Um so he had to travel however long he said. It's just a question of one employee's time rather than the other. But, and then you described how simple this thing was. You just put it in the machine and you get out a piece of paper. Why didn't uh, New Mexico have this, there was an additional sample. That could have been, would have been so simple to just retest it, having the witness come to the court. Why don't you arm him with the additional test and then there'd be no controversy?
8: Your Honor, one of the problems in New Mexico would be, uh, since, since the court believed that that, that report was, was admissible, if they did a second sample and, and tried to admit that, it would be cumulative evidence and probably would be kept out by, by the rule in New Mexico in that case. Mr. Rosatos did have an important purpose at this trial, and in New Mexico you still, I believe, have to have uh, a witness who who can authenticate the document to bring the document in. It it might not have had to have been Mr. Rosatos in this case. Well,
4: let's say that this Court holds that the confrontation clause requires the presence of the actual analyst uh, to testify about the sample. Uh, Is there anything in the law that says that that testimony is suddenly excuse, and you do not need the analyst if there's another sample available for the defendant to test? That's not the rule, is it?
8: It's not the rule, Your Honor, although one of the things that we pointed out is that, uh, is that the State always keeps two samples, that the defendant has the right, statutorily in New Mexico, to, to have a sample uh, retested at a lab uh, at that I'm saying of that
4: analytically state. that does not bear on the question whether or not the sample that's introduced by the State requires uh the, the analyst to be present. They're, they're just unrelated. Correct, Your Honor. That, that may that may show that the confrontation rule is a silly rule, uh, but it doesn't. But it it's, 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 there's 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 assuming confrontation is required, it's not excused. Yes. By the presence of another sample.
2: i I'm, I'm don't follow that because we have a substitute now. Uh, K law is out of the picture. We know that it it is the defendant's blood, because everything else is the same, um, and there's this vial that had a certain amount of blood and a certain amount left over, so it's not uh, cumulative, because Keylor is out of the picture. It is the defendant's blood that has been now tested by another analyst.
8: I'm sorry, Your Honor. In, in, in your hypothetical, if, if the State knew uh, uh, far enough ahead of time that they, they would not be able to submit uh, the, the, that analyst's results, they could always, because the blood sample continues to exist, they could always retest that and, and have an, another witness who, who could do that. Um, depending on how the court rules in this case, it might be that states will be required to do that. But at, at this point in time, under, under the current jurisprudence, uh, it, it, it didn't appear to the state that they needed to retest the sample. Um, and, and I think you have to worry a little bit about, uh, about how many people you might indeed have to have come into court and testify. If, if, the, state, if the burden on the state is that you have to, te- you have to sample twice just in case you're going to lose one of your analysts, I, I, I think that that does indeed put a great burden on the state. To do that. And so
3: General, I, I don't want to eat up your, your little remaining time. I think you can answer yes or no. Does New Mexico assert that the same rule is applicable to ballistics testing?
8: No, Your Honor. I mean, why? So I, I think that you have to do the analysis in, in each kind of statement that you're looking at, Your Honor, to determine whether or not the statement that that's being made and that's being proposed for trial is a substitute for live in-court testimony and so with regard to ballistics you you know you would be looking at a little bit different set of facts but in this case the facts are that that the gas chromatograph gave us a printout that said that the that the level of of alcohol in the blood is 0.21 grams per hundred milliliters Mr. Kaler transferred that to a form and and that's what we're putting in I I think that that, that it proves the point that I'm talking about in a ballistics analysis, you, you would have to have some analysis and someone to reach a conclusion. And it's that that sets Melinda's Diaz apart from this case, is, is that, there was, that there was some analysis by, by, uh, by the, the clarant in that case. And in the ballistics cases, I think most often you, you would find that. Now, if, the, if in the ballistics case you just took a photograph of the bullet and wanted to bring that into the court and say, here's what the bullet looks like, the jury then could make a determination whether they think that that bullet appears to be the same as the other. That wouldn't be covered by the confrontation clause. Certainly not. And no, and
3: but you you
8: you think the result would be shame, the same if we could
3: develop a machine that you put the bullet in and 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 uh, and the, uh, that's been fired from this gun and the murder bullet and, and the machine goes <laughs> and it spits out you know ninety nine percent ninety nine point nine percent match. That would be okay.
8: May I answer the question, Your Honor? Yeah. I in in that case, if, if the machine were able to do all of that, the machine essentially is giving you the best evidence, yes, I believe that that would be the case.
0: Thank, Thank you, sir. counsel. Uh, Mr. Fisher, you have two minutes remaining.
1: Thank you. Let me try to make four quick points. First, uh, Justice Alito, I said the first objection was at JA40. It's actually 4445 in the joint appendix. Uh, with regard to the State's argument about whether this document is testimonial, I'd simply urge the Court to take a very close look at the lab report itself. It's at JA62. At the top, it says, Mr. Chief Justice, in response to your question, arresting officer identification. And the officer writes, check for blood alcohol concentration. That's the order to the lab. If you look at the bottom in the certification of analyst, uh, he certifies that the following is true and correct, signs his name, and perhaps the most critical thing is at the very bottom, the actual rules of the New Mexico evidence law and criminal procedure law are referenced. So it's exactly like Melendez Diaz. This is a document that is expressly prepared for substitute live testimony. Not under
3: oath, though. That's the only difference. Isn't if,
1: it? Not under oath. If a certification is actually different than an oath, that just makes this worse. As in Crawford, this Court said that it would be implausible that trial by affidavit would be prohibited, but trial by unsworn affidavit would be okay. Do the MR.
4: Do the rules of criminal procedure in New Mexico say that it should be prima facie evidence?
1: They say much the same thing. There, there, are, there are several rules referenced at the bottom that all make this automatically admissible, notwithstanding the hearsay rule to prove the truth of the matter asserted. Um, with respect to Justice Ginsburg's question about retesting, you are exactly right. Uh, the state had many choices in, the ca- in this case about how to proceed, but if it wanted Mr. Rosados to be its witness, all it had to do was have him do re- retest it and write a new report and have him be the, the witness. There's no reason it would have had to introduce Mr. Kaler's report then and come up against any state law issue. Mr. Rosados could have been uh, the live witness. Well, it depends uh, on
0: when they do it, of course. I mean, you have the right to— uh, look at their evidence, so mu- presumably so, f- so far in advance of trial and whatever, and if they had to get a new new technician, that would have to put off the trial. Yeah, and I think standards.
1: that — I'm sorry. I think that goes to my last point, which is, uh, Justice Breyer, you're talking about states that do this. I'll combine my answer to these two things. Uh, a continuance would have been perfectly accept- perfectly appropriate if that scenario had arisen, Mr. Chief Justice. And that's what one thing the Public, De- Servi- Public Defender Service brief that talks about 23 uh, 26 jurisdictions encompassing 23 different States that follow the rule that we're uh, advocating today. And, it ha- and we're not asking for more witnesses. Uh, it's important that we're not — this is a multiple-witness problem. We're just asking for a different witness. In other Thank words, you, the counsel. State just brought the wrong witness.
0: Thank you, you Council. The case is submitted.